Bibles to Psalm 143 now as we continue our study in the Psalms. I obviously deviated from our uh, last Sunday of the month prayer and um, uh, here we are. So uh, we're going to look at this Psalm for this evening. A good Psalm for all of us to to remember and to look at uh, when we're having difficulties, which uh, pretty much, (laughs) you know, off and on here and there, but this this psalm is a sincere prayer for guidance and deliverance by David. This is a psalm of individual mourning written by David. And it's very much in tone like the other psalms of distress and especially Psalm 6. And some scholars put Psalm 6 and 143 in the category of a penitential psalm, that is, a psalm of remorse, of repentance. And the structure is as follows. Now, first of all, it's a description, there's a description of great personal distress in verses 1 and 4. Second, uh, a longing for former days of joy, verses 5 and 6. And then third, prayers for deliverance in verses 7 through 12. The theme of this psalm is a prayer in the midst of hopelessness and depression. And we should pray based on what we know is consistent with God's character and plans. That is to pray with what we know is the will of God that's consistent with the word of God, his character and his purposes in our life. Though, again, we... we, a lot of times we pray for things, but, you know, we need to, you know, we don't know what his will is a lot of times. So we pray, God, your will be done. The author is David. This is another great prayer of David. It's an urgent prayer. It's, a, it's asking, it's a request for help. David had no reservations about asking God for help. He opened his heart to God and he just poured out his, his, everything that he was feeling, he poured out to God. And you know, we don't need to keep that from God because he knows it already. So uh, again, uh, David poured out his heart to God. How we need to learn to pray like this, like David did. And Hebrews encourages us in chapter 4, verse 16. It says, let us therefore come boldly, notice, boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And, and you know, we're encouraged to come boldly. But, you know, we can come boldly into the presence of God and we can get the help we need and understand that no trial is too great, no temptation is too strong, and that Jesus Christ can give us the mercy and the grace that we need when we need it. But again, when we come boldly, that doesn't mean just come disrespectfully and kind of you know, barge into the throne of God. And, you know, we come boldly, but we come reverently to God because of who He is and all of His holiness. So let's begin now with Psalm 143, verse 1. A Psalm of David, and David says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me, and in your righteousness. So David calls on the faithfulness and the righteousness of God. Righteousness is also a word for justice. All right? It's, it, David calls on the faithfulness and the righteousness of God for an answer to his prayer. Now, this is exactly what believers need to do when they sin. 
We need to come to Christ based on his faithfulness and his righteousness. His justice. He's fair. And 1 John 1, 9, John says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteous, unrighteousness. You see, he is faithful and just or righteous. And like David did, we call upon God on the basis of God's faithfulness and on the basis of his righteousness, that is, his fairness. This psalm is a very great prayer and it can fit into your life and mine. This is also Israel's request. This is their hope when they cry for God to, uh, for, for help from God in their day of disaster. And God won't let them down. And he won't let us down either. God is not through with Israel. In Micah 7.20 it says, You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, we're told, So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Why did God acknowledge Israel? Why did he answer their cry? Because God is faithful and God is righteous. That's why. Not because we're a, a good catch or we're worthy, but because he's worthy, he's righteous, he's faithful, he's fair. In Romans, Paul tells us what Israel's problem is today. For they, be, they being ignorant of God's righteousness, they being Israel, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Romans 10.3 this is also the trouble that the Gentiles have. They didn't submit to the righteousness of God. You know, they wanted to establish their own righteousness. They were working at a religion. They were trying to do something to please God. There's nothing that we can do, you know, of ourselves to please God, but give Him our heart and our devotion. You see, there's nothing we can do to please God, because God has already done something for them, for us. He sent his son to the cross to pay the penalty for sin. You please him when you accept what he's done for you. Paul said in Romans 10, 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You see, Jesus has fulfilled the whole purpose of the law. Jesus, he said, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He came to fulfill the law and what the prophets spoke of. And all who believe in Jesus are made right with God. In verse 2, David goes on to say, Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. Notice that. David says, oh Lord, don't, don't, don't bring your servant to trial. <laughs> because compared to you, no one is perfect. We, we wouldn't be able to stand before you if we, were, if we stood in trial before you. David says, Lord, he says, Lord, I don't want judging because if you would judge, nobody could stand before you. David is really asking for mercy. 
You know, a lot of times, you know, many times we, we say, we, we, might, we might ask for justice. You know, you know, give me what I'm due, Lord. Give me what I deserve <laughs> in a certain situation. Be careful when you ask for what you deserve. And could you be, you go up and smoke. You know, what, what we need to ask for is mercy. Our prayers are for Mercy. David is saying, Lord, I don't really want to enter into judgment in this situation. I don't want you to enter into judgment with me, your servant, because I know that in your sight, no man alive can be justified. There's a story told about how Napoleon was riding down the streets of France in a parade. And a young girl came rushing up out of the crowd that was watching the parade. And when, when Napoleon came to the area that she was at, she came rushing up to his horse. And she began to cry, mercy, sire, mercy, mercy for my father. Napoleon said, who is your father? And she named her father. Napoleon said, your father is a traitor to France. He deserves to die. She said, sire, I didn't say, I didn't say justice, sire. I said, mercy. We deserve justice. We deserve to die. But by God's mercy, we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. So David is saying, Lord, I'm not really asking that you would enter into judgment with me because I know that no living man could stand before your judgment. But Lord, I, I, I ask for your mercy. I want your mercy. Verse 3. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. In Psalm 142, David's enemies were the cause of him seeking the Lord. And here in Psalm 143, we find the same thing. His enemies are what's causing him to go to the Lord. His enemies are persecuting him. He says here that, 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 that they have crushed my life to the ground. Oh, they, they just pounded me into the dirt, Lord. David hits bottom again. David definitely went through a whole bunch of different emotions. One minute he could be flying high in the highest heights of praise and glory, celebrating, dancing before the Lord, really at the peak of excitement. Then he could also hit rock bottom and say, Lord, you know, life has knocked me for a loop, man, down to the ground. He's made me to dwell in darkness like those who have been dead for a long time. And that darkness that comes when all hope is gone, that's what he's experiencing. Now, we've all heard the, heard the phrase, while there's life, there's hope. In fact, David sort of used that at one time. When he sinned with Bathsheba and she, and she became pregnant. And when the baby was born and, and, and David had gone over to try to cover the sin... He had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, put to death in battle. He had his, his, his general, he had Joab send Uriah to the front lines in the battle. Knowing that Uriah would be killed. And then David goes and makes Bathsheba his wife. Now as far as the people around Jerusalem were concerned, they didn't know what was going on. 
They didn't know that he had an affair with Bathsheba. They didn't suspect a thing of David. They just figured, what a great guy David is. How very respectable and how decent. Here's one of his soldiers, Uriah, who's killed in battle. His wife is pregnant. So just being a a gracious man, the wonderful guy David was, he married her. I mean, isn't that the greatest thing for the king? Oh, we know the whole story, so it wasn't such a great thing. And when the child was born, the baby became very sick. And for days, David laid with his face in the dirt, weeping and crying to God to spare his son. But God didn't spare his son. God allowed the child to die. And the servants of David were standing around in the area at the time that they got the word that the baby had died. David was lying again, face down in the dirt, crying before God. And the child was dead now. And the servants, you know, standing there when they got the word, they said to each other, Matt, what are we going to do? What do we do? If we tell King David the child's dead, he's going to go nuts. He's going to go ballistic. Who's going to tell him? How are we going to tell him? And while all this chattering between the servants is going on, David hears something over there. He, he hears these guys, you know, whispering back and forth among themselves. And he realizes something's going on. Something's up. He could sense that something was wrong. And he said, all right, guys, enough is enough. What's, what's going on? What, what are you guys whispering about? Is my son okay? And they said, David, your son has died. David gets up off of the ground and he said, well, I guess I'll take a bath. And he said, have dinner ready. And they thought, man, David, what's wrong with you? How come this all of a sudden 180 degree change? You know, just a minute ago before when you knew your son was dead, you're on the ground weeping and crying out to God. Now you find out he's dead, you're up and you know, you're ready to take a bath and, and eat dinner. Well, he said, you know, as long as the child was alive... I prayed that God would be merciful and heal the child. You know, as long as, you know, he's alive, there's hope. And so he prayed, Lord, be merciful and heal my son. But now that the child is gone, I can't bring him back. But I shall go to be where he is. But I can't bring him back to me. So he's saying, there's nothing more that I can do. As long as the child was alive, you see, David had hope. But death brings that hope to an end. And when Jesus was crucified, remember on the road, and he was walking on the road to Emmaus, and he joined up with the two disciples that were walking along the road, he says to them, hey guys, what's wrong? Why do you look so bummed out? You look like you lost your best friend. What happened? And they answered Jesus back, what's wrong with you, basically? You know, are you new around here, around these parts? Are are you a stranger around here? Don't you know the things that have been going on in Jerusalem in the last few days? And playing like he didn't know, he says, what things? What are you guys talking about? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth. 
A man who went around doing good. A wonderful man. Someone that we had hoped for, helped in, in for salvation of Israel, he's been crucified. You see, Christ's death ended their hope. So David now is talking about that hopelessness that happens at death. David says, I, I feel so hopeless. It's like that person who's been dead in the grave for a long time. He says, I was in that darkness of hopelessness like those who have been dead for a long time. Verse 4. So he says, therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. His enemies were pressing in on him. His spirit was just overwhelmed. He was overtaken. I don't know what to do. My heart within me is distressed. I'm bummed. I'm, I'm just empty. There's nothing of me left inside. He complains about the oppression of his mind that was brought on by these outward troubles in his life. He says, so my spirit is overpowered and overwhelmed within me. I've almost fallen into the, into, to the, uh, the bottomless pit, into hopelessness. But one thing that we, we, we need to understand is that sometimes it is the work of God that allows us to get there. Sometimes it's the providence of God, the hand of God, the work of God for even the best of men and women to have their spirits challenged for a while. Even almost overwhelmed and their heart desolate. And no doubt it's their weakness. David was not only a great saint, but he was a great soldier, a warrior. And yet David, as we see here in this psalm, was, was, was ready to faint sometimes in the day of adversity, in the day of troubles and, and, and trials. And, and, and adversity, man, tough times will destroy artificial faith. Tough times will destroy artificial faith. Charles Spurgeon said this, Affliction may put out our candle, but if it can't silence our song, we will soon light the candle again. C.S. Lewis said this regarding anxiety. He said, Remember, one is given strength to bear what happens to one but not the 101 different things that might happen. And isn't that the truth? We worry about so many things that are way off in the future that, we, that may never happen. God's not going to give us strength to bear those 101 things that are way out there in the future that may never happen. He gives us what we need each day. Remember when the children of Israel went out to gather manna? What did he tell them? Get just enough for today. Just enough for today. He said, if you collect more than what you need for today, it's going to spoil. We're told, uh, you know, many times not to fret. Psalm 37, I believe, is where it says twice, do not fret, do not fret. It only causes you harm. And anxiety has so many people, you know, bottled up and tense and, and, and on, you know, 
tranquilizers and sedatives and whatever they might need. David took advantage of the right way to relieve his troubled spirit. He within himself had no power to stir himself up against the, the, the attacks and the oppression of his enemy. But you see, he strengthened himself in the Lord. And, and this is one of my favorite verses in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. It says, now David was greatly distressed. And it says, why? Because the people spoke of stoning him. He was bummed out because those that he thought were friends and, and, and those who misunderstood what he had done, he said that he was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The misunderstanding of trusted friends when you're trying your best Boy, it can bum you out. Verse 5. Notice David says, I remember the days of old. How many times do we go back to the good old days? Oh, I wish it was like this way back when. David says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. Many times we go back to the good old days because... It may have been a better time, at least we thought. But David's, you know, when he says, I remember the days of old, he's not talking about those days that, you know, were better. He's talking about, I remember those good old days when you worked in the past, Lord. Because sometimes we remember times that God has worked in our lives, but he doesn't seem to be doing anything today or yesterday. We don't see, seem to think that God's going to do anything tomorrow because the problem looks so, so enormous. But David is saying here, I remember, God, how you worked in the past. And you know what? That's always a good thing. To think about the things that God has done for you in your life. Why is that a good thing? Because you see, those past blessings are promises of tomorrow's blessings. They're a promise for future blessings. You see, if God has worked in the past, He will work in the present. And he will work in the future. God has not brought me to this place. And when I say that, I don't mean in in the church sanctuary here. God has not brought me to the place that I'm in in my life. God has not brought me here, wherever here is in your life. Jobless or, or sick or whatever it might be. God has not brought you to the place that you are at tonight just to let you perish at this point. That's so important to understand. The psalmist said in Psalm 138.8, the Lord will perfect, notice, the Lord will perfect, that means complete. The Lord will perfect or complete that which concerns me. Now, we all know there is a mystery When it comes to suffering. There is a divine mystery in suffering. Because our thinking goes. Well you know what there's so many horrible people in this world. Why aren't they sick and dying? Why aren't they suffering? Why do only the good people suffer? Why does God only take the good people? There's a heavenly mystery in suffering. One that has. It has a supernatural power. 
And it's never totally been understood by man's way of thinking. And it, and it won't. No one has ever gotten to that or reached that deep level of spirituality or holiness who hasn't gone through a lot of suffering. When I first started the book of Psalms, right at the very beginning, in Psalm 1, uh, Charles Spurgeon has, has some commentaries called the Treasury of David, and it's all about the Psalms. And if you everybody you pick the, up a set, I think it's three, it's three volumes. It's all the Psalms that written by uh, yeah, Charles Spurgeon. And at the very beginning, he says that, that I, I'm, prayer, I'm putting in my words now, I had it noted down and I forgot to write it down here, but basically he was saying, the experiences in the book of Psalms aren't so much had by studying, but by personal experience. And as we've gone through the Psalms, we've seen David on such highs, and then we've seen him go down through such lows. All the emotions that man can, that can experience are found in the book of Psalms. But Spurgeon said, they're not learned so much. Those, those, those deep things of God are not learned by studying, but by experiencing them, and many times through suffering. I remember the words of an old song that used to say, if I didn't have any problems, how would I know that God could solve them? So simple, so true. When a person who suffers reaches a point where they're calm and they're carefree and they're smiling on the inside at their own suffering and they're no longer asking God, Lord, deliver me from this. Then the suffering has accomplished its ministry, its blessed ministry. It's accomplished its blessed ministry. Perseverance has finished its work, as James 1.4 says. It's through the experience of suffering that the Holy Spirit works many miracles, many miraculous things deep in our soul. In suffering, our whole being lies perfectly still under the hand of God. And every power and every ability of our minds and our will and our heart are finally submissive. And that's the thing when we suffer and go through trials. We kick against the goads rather than submit to the hand of God. When a quietness finally settles in my heart and my mouth finally quits complaining and having only a few words to say and it stops crying out the words, Jesus, that he said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because we cry out those same words sometimes when we feel that God has forsaken us. And we complain and murmur rather than submit, knowing that many times it's the hand of God in my, this is where God has placed me right now. And if Jeremiah 29, 11, well, not if, but since it says that God's will for me is good and not evil, that means there's nothing in my life that God does that's evil. So if this is good for me, it's the best place I can be. 
And when we reach that place of calmness and, and this carefree, you know, uh, disposition, like Paul said, you know, he, he says he knew how to be content when he was, he had everything and we had nothing. But you see, Paul's contentment wasn't based on the, his outside circumstances. Everything Paul had to, to live with a lot or with nothing, all his resources for joy in his life, for that contentment was inside. And when we reach that point of contentment, it doesn't mean that we're, we're enjoying the, the, the pain or we're enjoying the suffering, but we're enjoying that this is God, you know, dealing in my life. Peace, mercy, and grace is not the absence of trials in your life. Peace, mercy, and grace is having those things in my life as I go through those trials. Many times we think that, that, that the absence of peace, you know, or, or, or peace is the absence of trials. No. Peace is, is what I have in the midst of my trials. And when the person, like I said, starts imagining, oh, I should never suffer. And I've heard people say that if you're a Christian, you should never have any problem. You should never be sick. You should never suffer. I don't know where that get I don't know where they get that stuff. The Bible doesn't teach it. If if, if you know again if that was true then then Paul Paul didn't know it. I prayed 3 times for the Lord to heal me and he said no. Paul, you must be a sinner. You must not have enough faith. And those are the kinds of things that you heard. You shouldn't be sick. You should be healed. Your faith is weak. Something's wrong with you, Paul. But when we stop thinking, oh, I'll never suffer. And then we become calm and relax. Because the only choice has now become whatever God's purpose is in, is for my life. I receive it, God. Paul said in Romans eight twenty eight, and you're all familiar with it. And we know that all things and all things means all things. Work together for good. To those who love God, here's the, here's the key. To those who are called according to his purpose. Not my purpose. So David says in verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. The word remember is again going back to the times past. The word meditate means to ponder, to think about those things that God has done in the past. The word muse means to, um, to, to talk aloud to yourself. So that's, that's the remedy for my difficulties. David, I remember the old days when God worked in my life. I ponder those things all the time. I think about them all the time and I talk out, I talk to myself about those things. He says there, I look around and I can see the work of God in my life. And I think about all of your great works in my life, God, and I think about what you've done for me. 
And I can see how you had your hand on my life. And I can go back to even when I wasn't a Christian and many things in the, in the old days and stuff that I used to do. I can see many times that now the hand of God on my life where I didn't end up in a serious accident or hurting somebody or, or myself. I can see in some of those situations that were so dark and so hopeless, not knowing how I was ever going to get out of them. But I see how God provided. I see how God came through so faithfully when I was unfaithful or weak in my faith. I see how God met my need. And I just think about these things. God has been faithful. God has brought me this far. That's what David is saying here. What an important verse 5 is. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all of your works. I muse on the word of your hands, on the work of your hands. Verse 6. David says, I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. David says, my soul longs for you, Lord. Like a dry, scorching desert soaks up the rain. He looks up to God with a sincere desire towards God and God's favor. Lord, I I want your favor. Smile down on me. He says, I lift my hands to you, Lord. I lift my hands to you. I raise up my hands to you like a man who's begging for alms. That is for help, for relief of some kind. And and he he says, I do it. And this is another thing. When you lift your hands to God in, in crying out to God and hoping for God's deliverance, do you expect to get something? David lifted his hands to God with great expectation that he was going to receive something great. And he was standing ready to receive it. Okay, Lord, I lift my hands up to you. Go ahead, Lord, and fill them. I know you're going to. I'm waiting. He's waiting to receive it and to welcome it. He said, my soul longs for you like a thirsty land. You know, if you've ever been out to the desert in in, in you know, the middle of summer, which is where it's dried up and it's barren. There's nothing growing. The, 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 the earth is cracked because of the scorching heat. It's, it's waiting, you know, anxiously for the rain to come. And he says, just like that dry desert, he said, Lord, I, I need and I crave and the, the support and the refreshment, the relief that heaven will give for the comfort for my afflictions. He said, nothing else will, will help me. Nothing else will relieve me. Now, what David's doing here is the best thing that we do. It's the right thing and the best thing that we can do when our spirits are overwhelmed by the world, by circumstances, whatever it might be. It's the right thing and the best thing we can do when our spirits are overwhelmed because if not, we will sink under their load. If we don't take such an available way to to better our circumstances. 
Jesus, come to me, those who labor, and I will give you rest. Those who are, who are walking weighed down, burdened, burdened you know, with the things of this life. David here is crying out for relief from God. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Notice that. That's a, it's such a short verse, but it is so, it's so dynamic. Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. That means not faint. The inference, the inference is, if you're fainting, you're not praying. Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying if you're praying, you're not going to faint. You're not going to lose your. You're not going to lose heart. But if you're not praying, you're going to faint. Now listen to David's prayer in verse seven. Answer me speedily, O Lord. Notice my spirit fails. He says, Lord, I'm going down. He says, do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. David was going down. Man, David was losing hope. And he was being taken over by this this destructive fear. And he was going down deeper and deeper into depression. And sometimes we feel caught in in an ever-deepening depression and, and we just can't seem to pull ourselves out. And at times like that, we can come to the Lord like David did and we can tell the Lord how we really feel. Lord, I'm going down and I'm going down fast. Pull me out. And remember, it doesn't have to be a long prayer. Remember what Peter said? Lord, save me. And what did Jesus do? Picked him up, pulled him out. He was going down. He was going down. It's just the condition of our heart. That's what, that's what God looks at. The condition of our heart, our life. Tell him how you really feel. And then God will help us because we remember his works. Like David said in verse 5, we reach out to him in prayer. Like it says in verse 6, we trust him like it says in verse 8. And we decide to do his will like it says in verse 10. Now verses 8 through 10. David goes on to say, Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. For in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Your spirit is good. Let, lead me in the land of uprightness. This shows David's trust in God as his only refuge and his only hope. David is saying, Lord, you're, my, you're, you're all that I have. You're, you're, you're my hope. You're my refuge. You're my protection. He says, teach me to do your will. Are you still teachable? Are you still wanting to learn? You see, the, the, the minute you, you stop learning, you stop growing. He says, teach me to do your will, God, because you're my God. Where else am I going to go? Where do I turn? That should be every Christian's daily prayer. Teach me, Lord. Teach me. 
When you get up every morning, Lord, show me today something. Teach me something today, Lord. Let's close with verses 11 through 12. He says, revive me, O Lord. Notice, for what? For your name's sake. And I don't know if you remember when we started a psalm, I said every time you see your name underlined, I don't know if you forgot that, but, you know, because when you underline your name and you go through the scriptures, you'll see how many times the Bible refers, especially psalms, to your name, to his name. Because it, it, it's, it, God's name, and I said it earlier today, it, is, it refers to his character, his attributes, to his person, to his reputation, to who he is. He says, for your name's sake, Lord, for your reputation, for who you are, for what you stand for, do that for me, Lord. Because you're not a liar. You're not like man. You said you would do that for me, Lord. He says, make me alive, Lord. Revive me. Notice, let's look at 11 and 12 again. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake, for your righteousness's sake bring my soul out of trouble in your mercy cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul for i am your servant again make me alive lord revive me to do the things of the spirit notice that david isn't saying to do this for his sake lord do this for me don't do do this for my sake no lord do this for your sake because again He's depending upon the reputation of God. He's depending upon the person of God, the holiness of God, the faithfulness of God, the kindness of God, and the promises of God. Because if you don't, your reputation is going to be sullied. Because I talk about you, I pray, and I, and I witness about you, Lord, and you're faithful, and you're righteous, and you're a deliverer. Not for my sake, but your Lord, your, your sake, Lord. Because I have committed myself to you, see? That's why, Lord, I've committed myself to you. I put my, my life in your hands. And you said, if I did that, you'd do this for me. I've put my life in your hands for your righteousness' sake. Because God is a righteous judge. That is, he's a fair judge. And David says, if I commit myself totally to him, he will do what's right. If I am surrendered to him and yielded to him, what he does will be right. So Lord, again, for your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of the trouble. Lord, because of who you are, man, get me out of this trouble. Bring my soul out of the trouble. And in your mercy, Lord, get rid of my enemies. Notice, David is calling upon the mercy of God to deal with his enemies. He's not saying, Lord, you know, I've been a good guy, man. I've been walking with you, and I've done this, and I've done that. He said, get rid of my enemies. He said, no, Lord, because of your mercy. We always come and fall upon the mercy of God. I deserve nothing. My best is nothing in the eyes of God. Lord, in your mercy, get rid of my enemies. David's enemies have been persecuting him. They have driven David into the ground. They have pounded him into the ground. And he's praying for deliverance in verse 9 from these enemies. He prays for deliverance in verse 9 from these enemies. Now he prays here, Lord, Lord God, cut off my enemies. 
He says, destroy all of those who afflict me. Why? Because I am your servant. I like that. Because I am your servant, Lord, take care of me. Protect me and be my protection. And you know what a wonderful thing that is if you're a servant of God. He will protect you. He will take care of you because this is our heritage. This is our birthright, if you will. Being a child of God. He's my father. I'm one of his children. And as a parent, man, what did they do? They protected you. They took care of you. If you're a servant of the Lord, God's going to watch over you. God's going to protect you. You don't have to worry. Lord, take care of my enemies because I am your servant. In verse 11, he prays that he might be stirred up to do his will. He says, revive me, O Lord. Renew my devotions, Lord. So that I might be on fire for you, Lord. Renew, revive my duty, Lord. Renew me in my service and do it for your name's sake. Even the best Christians often find themselves dull and dead and slack. So there are times we need to pray, Lord, revive me, renew me. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. Don't just deliver me from my outward trouble, but from the trouble that's in my soul, in my heart, the trouble that threatens to overpower my spirit. Whatever trouble I'm in, Lord, don't let it trouble my heart. Jesus says, remember, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. David prays that God would deal with those that were the cause of his trouble in verse 12. He says, in your mercy, cut off my enemies, Lord, so that I won't be afraid of them anymore and destroy all of those, every single one, whoever they are, no matter how many there are or how powerful they are, Lord, you know, destroy all of those who afflict my soul, which means who create problems for me. Why? Again, because I am your servant. And I'm determined to be your servant so that I can expect to be owned and protected while I'm in your service. This prayer is a prophecy of the total destruction of all the unrepentant enemies of Jesus Christ and his kingdom who won't let Jesus reign over them, who grieve the Holy Spirit and trouble his soul. By tr- remember, when you're troubled... God is troubled. When people trouble you, they're troubling God. When, when, when people mess with you, they're messy with God. You're like that, that, that papa bear, that mama bear. Don't mess with my kid. And you don't care how big or how powerful or bad that person might be. You just don't mess with my kid. And that's what the father is saying here. Or David saying to his father, Lord, you get them. You take care of them. And so we need to remember that. He's our daddy. He's our Abba father. And we're, we're one of his kids. Father, we thank you so much for this great psalm, Lord. And Father, help us 
to once again receive all that this psalm has to tell us, God. Father, that, and especially when it comes to suffering, God, it is a part of your mysterious will for our lives, God. And God, you only do what's good for us, Lord. And Father, part of that suffering, again, it's beyond all human understanding, Lord. And Father, many times we try to figure you out, God, and we think we have you figured out, but how foolish to think that. Because the Bible tells us very clearly in Isaiah 5, uh, verses 8 through 9, that your thoughts are not our thoughts and your ways are not our ways, that your ways and thoughts are above our finding out, God. I don't want to be able to figure you out, God. I don't want to know, God, all the things that you do because then I'd be equal to you. All I need to know is that you, you do what's best for me even though I don't understand it and sometimes it's difficult. But in my heart, I know that it's for good and not evil. So Lord, help us to understand that. Help us to receive it, accept it, God. Help us not to forget it, Lord. Help us to remember the past days that you worked in our lives. Help us to meditate upon your works, Lord. To ponder those things, to think about those things. And help us to muse to talk aloud to ourselves about those things you've done for us, God. To remember, to meditate, and to muse. Father, may you bless your people, God. May you protect them as they go their way. Lord, may you cover them from all disease, harm, and enemies, Lord. We thank you, God, for being such an awesome God, and we thank you for such an awesome word, your Bible our Bible, your word to us. So Father, we thank you, we love you, and and look forward to what you're gonna teach us, Lord. Help us, teach us, as David said, teach us how to do your will, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We will meet Wednesday night.